Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name's Shelley Johnson. I'm a HR consultant at Boldside. Hey, Em. Hey, Shell. Emily Bowen here, and I am the COO of Rare Kind. Today on the show, we're joined by Jeff Cruz, who is the managing director at one of our favorite organizations, Rare Kind. And Jeff is a career consultant, a talent strategist, and a business leader. And he's fueled by intense optimism and the inability to stand still, which I feel is very true when you get to know Jeff. He's qualified in psychology, technology, and has 23 years, which is a long time in the recruitment game. He works on boards with business owners and executives in small, large, and complex organizations to understand the changing needs of employees, customers, and technology. We're talking about how to land an executive gig, and we'll get into what things people are looking for in those roles, and we'll also talk about the practical ways you can prepare for that type of recruitment process as well. So you are going to love this episode. It's fun, it's vibey, and it's super practical. This one's a little bit weird for me because I've jumped on to record. We're doing this via Squadcast, so it's remote. And all of a sudden, I feel like, hang on, why is my boss on the other side of the screen? And why do I feel like we're strangers? Like, this is weird. It's like you're interviewing your boss. You know, that's essentially what we're doing. Or do I feel like I'm being interviewed because I've had this whole podcast thing going on? It's like, yeah, yeah, that's amazing that you do that. But now I've got to show up and actually do it. In front of him. So, hey, Jeff Cruz. <laughs> Hello. It's a bit like that George Costanza two worlds colliding moment, isn't it? Yeah. Go, Wait a minute. I'm not sure how I feel about this. <laughs> I know. And it's like, it's good, but it's weird. So, uh, thanks for joining us. And look, there'll probably be moments where we fall into our rare kind ways and call each other Embo and Cruzy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, let's do but that. just go with us. Uh, you are my boss. You're the managing director of Rare Kind. And thanks for coming on and sharing your wisdom with us. Oh, thanks for having me. It's very exciting. I've been pumped about this episode because. I just can't wait to pick your brain, Jeff, about everything to do with landing an executive gig. And I know that you've been in the... How long, actually, oh have you goodness. been in the recruitment game for? Um, 23 years. Whoa. I know. Some of I our actually, listeners are only 23 years old. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that, Em. So, as Emma knows, I was in the backseat of a car coming from... Uh, Sydney to Central Coast yesterday, and the driver of that car, hi Ash, if you're listening, I mentioned she's 23 years old. Oh my goodness, what a sick in the stomach moment that was. <laughs> <laughs> and so amazing, really, depth of experience, because you've been doing this for 23 years, you've seen the ins and outs, you've seen the evolution of recruitment over uh, an extended period, but you've also seen so many different employers and what they want in their leadership roles. And for many of our listeners, 
one of their long-term career goals, Jeff, would be to land one of those positions. So we think about anything on the executive leadership team, but often we don't really unpack what it is that employers are really looking for in those roles. And the beauty of your position is you've seen so many diverse industries, so many diverse employers and can help us pinpoint some of the common themes, the common things people want from their executive leadership team. And so I guess I just want to put it to you. How would you, to kick us off, can you tell us what you would describe an executive role as? What does it look like? Yeah, it's, do you know, I obviously I've thought a little bit about our conversation today and I found myself thinking a lot about the word leadership and and I think it would be fair to suggest that that's the first word that comes to everybody's mind and then you find yourself in that little rabbit hole and you know defining leadership and and of course that's a separate conversation in its own right. I think an executive role has a big part of leadership to it but I think it has more than that too and I think you know you've got to put the word leadership in the context of business and you know what else is going on inside a business at an executive level that that is more than just leadership you know it's very much about customers it's very much about finance and even in that big topic of leadership there's there's elements of leadership like accountability and, and, and looking into the future that are more important than perhaps some of the other elements of leadership. So that's probably my loose definition. But you're right, 23 years, yeah, it is nice to have a moment occasionally just to reflect on, yeah, it's a, look, it's, a, it's an amazing privilege, to be honest, and Em and I reflect on it occasionally too, to get to see, you know, inside if I may be so bold, the heart and soul of business, which is people, over, over that amount of time is, yeah, it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's an honour. So let's dive a little bit deeper into that executive piece versus leadership. Mm. We, as a manager, so you may be a manager of business and there's a leadership component to your role. You may be the executive of a business and there's a leadership component to your role. We are really trying to find what that subtle line is Perhaps it's subtle, uh, perhaps it's not, but we're trying to find what that line is. What's that line that is the difference between a manager and an executive? When do you become an executive? What does that look like to you? Yeah, and in fairness, you know, a lot of this is around the definition of words, isn't it? Because in fairness, people that are titled managers probably have many executive components. And likewise, you know, an executive has, has a large number of management components. So I'm cognizant of, of our audience, which you know, might be in a management role and, and a lot of what I say, they think, well, hang on, that must mean I'm in an executive position. So a bit of this is around defining words in themselves. But I think an executive, in my mind and in my experience, a manager is empowered to be responsible for a clearly defined aspect of the organisation and an executive, in contrast, is responsible for a far bigger brief. So to have visibility across all those sort of well-defined elements, and that's not just across the breadth, 
but very much, and I've always really referred to this, and I hope I don't hammer it too much, but that's not just about the breath, but it's also into the future. So an executive role needs to look beyond the here and now. And I think in fairness, back to the definitions, I think a management role is a little bit more about the here and now, and that's not to uh, be too narrow-minded about what a manager can be, but I think in fairness, we need to acknowledge the importance of the here and now. We can't all be thinking about a year in advance because we'll waste the opportunity that's in front of us right now. So there are probably a couple of key things that come to mind. I love that, what the distinction between, I guess, the strategic vision casting, setting this strategy for the future that the executive team will be responsible for. And then as a manager, you are responsible for executing. And I think that distinction is important and you're responsible for helping a team execute that. And I just think if we could take a moment on what that future, I guess, vision casting, I don't know what you want to call it, setting the strategy, what kind of skills do you have to have to do that? Like, How do you develop that skill set? So say our listeners who are in a management role right now and they want to take that step in the next few years to get into that exec gig, what sort of things can they be doing to build that strategic muscle or capability? Yeah. It's right. You guys use the word strategy and good on you. I think I've got this I've got this little subconscious thing going on with the word strategy at the moment. It's a little bit like the term thought leader. See, you know what? Let's remove thought leader wording from our vocabulary only because it's been hammered. And I must admit, I I go in and out of that same feeling on the word strategy, but you are absolutely right to use it. So your question is, how do you build that strategic muscle? Yeah. How do you move from focusing solely on here and now to helping an organisation get to the future and envisioning what that future is? Yep. I think, look, a lot of the mental preparation I did in this is, you know, by all means, considering the work we've done with organisations external to our business in in a consulting capacity. But, you know, if I may be so bold, I've got far greater insight into my own life experience and journey. And, you know, when I reflect back on where I started, I did not at all consider myself to be a strategic thinker because I, I wasn't. And I think the ability to think strategically comes over time. But if I think about what the building blocks of those are, it's very much around some of the things, some of those key points I mentioned earlier and really fleshing them out. So for example, you know, we've touched on leadership and leadership is very much around the people, but it's specifically too about accountability and how to exercise accountability in the absence of authority. You know, that's a, that's a complicated statement, but that's a very tricky thing to achieve when you don't yet have the authority to hold people to account. That's one very narrow way of just starting to flex the accountability muscle. Another way is very much around customers. You know, some of the flickers of brightness I see in up-and-comers, and, and what I see, therefore, are the building blocks of strategic thinking, come from seeing this relentless obsession with the customer. So, and that sounds nothing like strategy. And yet, when you start there, you over time just flesh that out to start thinking strategically about customer engagement, customer management, customer longevity, Likewise, and I realise this is a long-winded answer, but, you know, finance. You know, I'm not 
a maths guru by any stretch of the imagination, but I do have an interest in finance. And early in my career, I, I guess I, I just flexed that interest. I, I asked questions. I really worked hard to understand a P&L and, and the drivers of that report and, and how things changed over time. And, you know, here we are several, many years later, that has evolved with some life experience and, and, you know, some learnings along the way into a more strategic ability at the financial level. But it starts very small and it starts in a way that looks nothing like strategy, but it starts in key areas that if you remain focused on, on what I believe are key areas, then they will develop into an executive mindset. There's so much there. <laughs> Well, wow. so much there. And excuse me, coughing. I just want to pause for a sec and talk about what you said about the relentless obsession with the customer. And I love that. And for me, coming from a HR background, I would often feel removed from the customer because I'd be in a, an internal mm. function. So if you're in IT, if you're in finance, if you're in HR, are there any others that are internal? Oh, are there's plenty. Peeps? I even think about our engineers. Yes. Anyone who's in a role where maybe you don't have direct connection to the customer, let's take a moment to just focus on what Jeff said there because it's so insightful. Wherever you are, you need to be thinking about, I think, two customers. The customer who buys our product, service, whatever that is, offering, and then your internal customer. For finance, that's the person that reads the profit and loss report that you do up every month or it's if you're in IT support, it's the person who you're setting up their laptop. Whatever that situation is, be thinking about your internal customer and your external customer because the more you're thinking like that, the more you are standing out for future roles Mm -hmm. because you're saying, I care about this business beyond just what I do in my role. I care about its ongoing success, which I think is so important if you want to land a future big exec gig. And so much of this, we've used that word breadth. I think about, okay, let's really drill down to this idea of if you're in IT help desk and you're setting up the laptop for the new starter, don't just think about that process of setting up the laptop for the new starter. Take moments to step back and go, wow, I've set up five new laptops in the last four weeks for new starters. Now let me think about, are they all brand new hires or is that because three people have left plus we've grown two new roles And then again, do you just keep stepping back and keep stepping back and keep stepping back to try and piece together and consider, well, what does that mean about what the market is doing at the moment? What can that setting up that new laptop tell me about where this business is at and where the market that we operate in is at? And then if I put a future lens on it, if I'm seeing these trends, how do I make that process more efficient to create more value for my business to help that business succeed, win lower costs, whatever that is. So you're taking what you're seeing in your current space and then you're looking at that future. How do we take this process, this way of working forward, move it forward and increase my performance, but also the performance of my team? Those are little steps towards I think being more noticeable in your organisation. Absolutely. And building blocks is a nice term that you've used, Jeff, and we're starting to see that wall come together. What sort of time frame would you suggest our listeners need to allow in their career in order to work their way towards an executive role so when they see something advertised or an opportunity comes up, they're ready for it? I guess I'm keeping in mind here that 
our average listener is about that 27, 28 year old mark. So what would be a natural kind of path or a typical path that you would see from a time frame point of view? Let me just quickly reflect on what you guys just said in terms of building blocks. It's, it, it's nice to get practical about this strategy stuff. You are so right. Strategy is just about being able to connect a lot of tactical elements to a bigger picture. And so, you know, I can't help but cast my mind back to, you know, other times where I've heard about, you know, this obsession with the customer. And you think, yeah, yeah I am obsessed over the customer. What else you got? But there is just so many... My, you know, I remember years ago, one of our external website developers, this was such a long time ago, they put something to us where our candidates, job seekers, needed to log in with a username and password. And I distinctly remember that and saying to them, do we really think our job seekers, like we're just one recruitment business, do we really think they're going to have separate username and logins for you know, the 15 recruiters that they might be talking to about different opportunities. And it, it was just this moment in time where I just remember thinking more deeply about what our customer actually wanted. Do they actually want to sit there, come to the Rarekind website, it wasn't Rarekind back then, but the Rarekind website and go, oh yeah, that's right, where's my username and password so I can engage <laughs> with this business. Like it's Those are just tiny little moments, but they are about thinking proper deeply. There's a string of words you won't hear again (laughs) about the customer. Anyway, back to your question, Ambo. The time frame, I think, look, I have used the word wisdom and, and look, I think by definition, perhaps wisdom does necessitate a little bit of time on this earth that is outside of your 20s, but I feel like I'm hanging myself out to be crucified on that because, and, and I'd be prepared to crucify myself. Look, you know, you have got startups with very young people at the very, very top behaving more strategically than I will ever be, more visionary, um, and, you know, being a greater definition of the word executive than I'll ever be. So, you know, the traditional answer, Embo, might have been, you know, by all means, start now. And, you know, you probably find that you're, you're fleshing out the, the old school version of the word executive as you, you start getting into your 30s. But I think we need to be honest with ourselves and say that if you've got the sort of characteristics that we've been talking about thus far, then that sort of stuff happens at any age. It really does. You know, I, heaven forbid I should talk about my own family, but, you know, I have a, a daughter who's 15 turning 16 and, um, you know, she's got, she's just one of those old souls. And it's, it's quite amazing you come across these people be, uh, from time to time who just feel like they've been here before. So it's got nothing to do with age. You start flexing this sort of stuff and and behaving in that way and thinking that way at any moment. You know me well enough to know that I like to make sure that anything I do is intentional and that that it is connected. And so I think about, well, uh, if someone's sitting there going, all right, this is all sounding pretty good and I'm starting to understand what these building blocks are and the time is now, there's no time limit as such, but the time is now. How would you recommend we're spending our resources, our time, our money? What are we putting our energy into in order to work towards an executive role? Yeah, I think the 
the very first thing that you would naturally bring to mind is some element of training and education. But I really, I really can't go there first. I, I think it has to be about other people. You know, I, I, there's nothing about training and education. We've all done training and education and, and for good reason. Um, and there is absolutely a place for prioritising that. And I think, it, well, I was going to say in particular around, you know, we've talked a tiny bit about finance, you know, that's, finance is not my strong suit. And I suspect there might be other listeners where finance isn't their strong suit as well. And because at the end of the day, an executive role, no matter what your age, no matter how big or small the business, really does need to come down to the financial responsibility for the company. You know, if that's not your strong area, then I would encourage you to do some training and education in that space. But um, a, a more succinct answer is, you know, we're just in such a connected world now and there's such an awesome opportunity to be around people that you want to learn from. And while it would be lovely if that was always over a coffee and face-to-face time, it's not always practical, but there are absolute ways to, to learn and to learn off others and listen. And so my short answer is, yeah, to try and create time and moments to learn from others. And I think, you know, that must include your peer group who are doing amazing things, you know, I, I kept referring to the startup world, but, you know, they're not necessarily startups, but they, they are young executives. You know, there are, there are executives who started so much younger than me, you know, thinking like that, behaving like that, to get some insight into the sorts of decisions that they're making, how they're making those decisions and what they're prioritising is a good place to start. That's reminded me, Jeff, on a previous podcast, and Em, you'll remember this, uh, with Rowan Dredge, where he said yes. this thing of, he kept talking about, he said, a person's name is like, they're my mentor I never met. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. They're, so I believe he'd read their book. He read their book and he'd, I think they had a couple of like online or, or um, video-based content that he'd, he'd learned from. And he's like, he just referred to them, this is my mentor I never met. I never met them. And that's really stuck with me because- like you're saying, Jeff, you we're so connected, but you may not necessarily need to meet people in this space because we know sometimes it's hard to get time with maybe those people that you see and you think, oh, I'd love to connect with them. For me, I've got this list of people that I follow and I love all their content. And I think it's the same thing. They're my mentor. I've just never met them, but I'm learning from them week in, week out. And look, let's use that as a connector to a conversation about LinkedIn because I'm just mm. sitting here listening, thinking absolutely where you can, you pin someone down, you have a coffee, you pick their brain and then you follow them on LinkedIn and you continue to see. I mean, you know, Jeff, I know you won't mind if anyone looks you up and if they were to be connected with you on LinkedIn for a period of time, they'll start to see you sharing mm. how you're making decisions as an executive, how, you know, you approach running a business totally. and they may have never met you. Yep. So what's your, uh, <laughs> I feel a bit funny asking a question I know the answer <laughs> to, what's your opinion on LinkedIn? You know, and when we talk about resources, where does that fit into someone's journey to an executive? Uh, total waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, let's not recording now. <laughs> no, look, you're dead right. And it's really great. You guys have mentioned reading. I, I just love how you've, 
sort of thrown a few things at me that, you know, I must admit even sitting in the car yesterday, I've referred to this trip I had. You know, it's just nice to be connected with just a couple of grassroots things from time to time. And and I'm certainly not being flippant with reading books being grassroots, but, you know, sometimes you walk past bookstores and you think, oh, yeah, there's another one of those books, you know, Seth or um, far out, a list of 17 names and, you know, we all have all heard of them. And sometimes I think, you know, I wonder how many thousands, hundreds of thousands of people are reading those books. And you know what? Sometimes I wonder if anyone's reading them because you, you break it down to day-to-day moments and, and you say to people, you know, oh, yeah, that reminds me of that book, A Thousand True Fans, or, you know, there's heaps of them. And that's not to say I've read many myself, but you've got to read some. You've just got to. And the question then is, okay, so which ones, which goes to your point, Embo? And that is, I would not necessarily go to the top 10 reading list in Australia. I would instead have a look around on LinkedIn and get a bit of a feel for what some of the executives who you have an interest in. Now, when I say have an interest, is that because you like the stuff they post? Is it because they work in industries that interest you? Is it because you're connected through a a second connection or some other interest? But, you know, you'll often find some insights into the sort of stuff that they're reading, and then there'll be some connections there. The short answer, Em, I was being facetious earlier, the LinkedIn thing is massive. Look, it's like... All social media, I wish it wasn't this way, but it is. Plenty of garbage out there and you need to be careful of, well, actually, let me sort of be less dramatic. It's not about being careful. I think you need to remind yourself from time to time, oh, that's right, I'm in social media and from time to time I'm going to waste my time on this garbage that I seem to be reading for no real purpose. So in that sense, you do need to be careful with how you spend your time and, and where you put your focus. But in terms of... Yeah, that mentor I haven't met. I love that terminology. I'm particularly interested in at least a dozen people on LinkedIn. I love what they write. They don't know that, by the way. I'm a secret <laughs> stalker. Except <laughs> for the fact that you like every one of their posts. Yeah, I'm you're probably sure. right. <laughs> probably right. But yeah, I think LinkedIn is is a really powerful tool. And and what I will say on that, if, if in case I'm at risk of it getting off this topic, I think people absolutely across the significance of posting and whether or not people do, um, that's up to them. And I realise posting's not for everyone. A lot of people just like to read and and remain silent and and I totally get that. I think far less has been said about commenting and I think commenting on people's posts is so powerful because it lets the poster know you've read and absorbed what they've said you have an opinion and as much as the LinkedIn community seems that this seems to be in some sort of LinkedIn Bible somewhere, well, if I'm going to comment, I always have to have an opposing opinion. Uh, not sure about that. <laughs> you know, it doesn't always need to be this big debate or discourse. Sometimes it can just be, wow, that's really insightful. Thanks for posting that. But in short, M, yeah, I think the LinkedIn community, at least in, for my own journey, has been significant. Just thinking about what you said about where you have these people you follow and you secretly like all their posts and stuff, and <laughs> it's just reminded me as you've said that, if there's those people in your world and you are following them and you're engaging with their content, you really like what they're putting out, 
For me, one of the things I've done in that space that's been really helpful of building connections is actually I messaged someone who I relentlessly, obsessively follow uh, who's, a, who's a really senior role exec at a huge, huge company in Australia and I just messaged them one day and said, hey, I've got to tell you, your work and what you've put out there has stuck with me and I've written it down on a post-it and it's on my wall and I see it every day when I go to work. And I messaged them and they responded that day and they've got, you know, probably 100,000 plus followers and they went back and they just said, I'm so glad to hear that, blah, blah, blah. And it just created this connection point. And sometimes we feel, you know, hesitant to do that, but people love hearing that what they're putting out there is beneficial. And so for me, I'd encourage you, if you've got those people, like reach out, tell them that you're finding what they're putting out there beneficial. It builds those connections. And I think it's a really beautiful thing to be doing. And isn't, hey, I wrote it on a post-it note and stuck it on my wall, just the biggest compliment. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. To hear that. So I was going to propose, if you guys agree, that perhaps this discussion on LinkedIn and this active participation becomes another building block. So when we're talking about moving your way to an executive role, if that's Mm. your goal, this has to be one of those building blocks that we're placing in our wall. Uh, We're going to go to a break. When we come back, we'll get quite practical because we want to talk about the recruitment process. So once you've got all your building blocks sorted, what does it look like when you start to apply? Hey, thanks for listening. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money Medical, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business, and My Millennial Money. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. All right. The building blocks are there. The career plan is mapped out. We're really going to tap into your trade now, Cruzy, uh, that recruitment trade. What is this? Okay, uh, sure. This all sounds lovely. Like I'm ready to submit my application. I want to be an executive. Let me throw my hat in the ring. What does that look like the first time? Well, actually, can you clarify the question? Do you mean what does it look like in terms of the process, Em? Yeah, I'm probably leaving it open to your... My creativity. Well, yeah, and I guess just your, you know, you feel free to answer that however you like, but I guess I'm visualising myself as somebody who's been on this journey, I'm in a manager role, I'm really driven and I've been being intentional Mm. around thinking about things strategically, having those conversations, my LinkedIn's on fire, Mm -hmm. but I'm not an executive yet. What do I do? Got it. 
So the really interesting thing about applying for jobs is it happens in a moment and in a specific context. Now, what I mean by that is it's a single moment in time that an employer happens to be looking to fill a role and the context is largely invisible to the applicants. And that situation in itself is just fraught with, <laughs> let's just say danger, because danger, the word danger always follows the word fraught. But what I mean by that is, you know, you've got people, therefore, blindly applying for this moment in time job with no real insight into the context for that vacancy besides, you know, three or four paragraphs on a job board. What's my point? An executive, you know, the stakes are high when there's an executive vacancy because it's a role with significance. It's typically comes with a, a high compensate, uh, you know, remuneration. You know, it therefore means in some way there's a vacancy in a really strategic key place in an organisation. And so for that organisation, the stakes are high as well. And the, the process, I, firstly, I suppose the point I'm trying to make is we need to be cognizant of that. And my point being that, you know, you are probably going to find a lot of knockbacks. But I suppose the easy segue I'm trying to make, and I suppose I'm trying to do this in a way that makes it just totally unbiased. Let me uh, start by saying recruiters are not paid by job seekers. I trust everybody knows that, but let's just one more time for the people at the back. Recruiters are not paid by <laughs> job seekers. So I would really encourage anyone that, you know, would like to map a path to exec to some executive role to talk to one recruiter, six recruiters, it's up to them. And that is because those recruiters get insight into the invisible context and they see beyond that moment in time. Um, and so let me boil that down to a really practical example. You know, let's use a stereotypical executive job title of chief executive. You know, there might be a chief executive position advertised um, that's, you know, four paragraphs long and it's there's a lot going on behind the scenes that, that have created that job vacancy. And, you know, look, if it's already hit the job board and it's through an employer direct, then they've obviously decided to go that route and, and that's that. But talking to a recruiter, you'll get greater insight into a higher volume of employers who are on a trajectory that might be looking for those sorts of people and perhaps need an up-and-comer and therefore all of a sudden, gee, Mary, if you... It just so happens that, you know, if you started working in this area and this area, this vacancy is probably going to be available about a year. You know, we could really start working on that. It's just a, it's a more fluid and comprehensive way of starting that process, in my opinion, versus a moment in time job posting that I just worry. I suppose this is the point I'm trying to make him. I do worry that... There'll be people out there who go, right, well, I'll just start applying. They'll apply for a dozen jobs, get knocked back and think, well, stuff it. I mustn't meant to be an executive. That is so not true. You've just got to look a little bit 
beyond some of the pitfalls of job advertising, um, which is nothing against that, you know, it just is what it is. It's important to think beyond a moment in time and to do your best to look into what's going on behind the scenes. And if I can keep, uh, I guess, dragging us as a team into this idea of building blocks, uh, which I've really held on to. I know, I, I love it. Yeah, well, it was your idea. So I, I think about this, even this recruiter moment in time. If your expectation is that you can knock on the door of any recruiter when you've decided that you're ready to throw your hat in the ring for your first executive gig, you're too late. Now, it's okay to start, but there is going to be a delay. And so we recently, we, not too long ago, did an episode on why a recruiter and how a recruiter is, I guess, like your secret weapon to your career. And part of that was talking about starting your relationships with a couple of key recruiters early. And for me, I'm listening to you speak and, and I guess reflecting even on my own opinion and, and experience and thinking this is going to be most powerful if... X number of years ago in your career, you started building the recruiter relationships because they will have seen you on your career journey and they'll know you and you'll have that trust. And like anyone in your network that you have cultivated that relationship with, they'll be happy to be even more transparent with you. They'll be happy to do that final piece of coaching and even go to bat for you. So when they do have a client that is willing to open up an opportunity to someone that hasn't had that CEO job title before they'll be more inclined off the back of that recommendation because they can actually trust that you're known. And, and this person, as I say, will go, this recruiter will go to bat for you. So I hope you don't mind me adding and sort of saying and on the back of your response there, but I think you'd agree, Crazy. Yeah, I totally agree. Look, Ember knows this. The most exciting moments for us as a recruitment business, and I'll go as far to say if there's any other recruiters listening out there, I'm going to speak on behalf of the industry, brace yourself, but the entire industry, <laughs> some of the most exciting moments are when an employer sees a resume that we've submitted and they say, yeah, Cruzy, um, that's not the sort of person I, I would think fits this role. And then we have this moment where we go, I think you should see her. And they go, far out. Look, I don't think they're right, blah, 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 but crazy, because of the relationship we have, all right, I'll set aside an hour and I'll, I'll do that. And then you just sit and wait for that phone call and they have the meeting and then they ring up and they go, you know what? You're right, I want to put her on. That's oh. it's just this, oh, Stembo, we just got tingles in our neck. Yeah. Like, I know, I got like... <laughs> she, she really does have goosebumps. And I, oh, I love that so, so much. I'm just, you sh- if everyone could see, that was like a moment of all of us big smiles, like going, yes, 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 this is the moment. I, I would call that the recruiter's intuition. They've just got this thing about them that they can see the potential in someone mm-hmm. that maybe an employer would overlook. And that's why the relationship with them is so important because they can be your top advocate that they're putting you forward where maybe, yeah, the hiring manager might not look at your application, but a recruiter is the one who's identified this person's got potential. And I just love that so much of hearing you, how you do that day in, day out. And I guess as we're talking about this recruitment process and just wanting to dig in one more time, because I know you you both have seen this so many times um, in so many different organisations, 
Is there anything else in the recruitment process that we should look out for? Are, are, are interviews different or, uh, yeah, anything? Do you else? need a different style of resume, that sort of thing? Yeah, what does mm. that look like? Yep, and let me slide in there too, Shell. You know, uh, Embo and I use the word recruitment uh, and because of the longevity we've both had, and, you know, Embo's been in this industry a long time as well, you know, we perhaps organically refer to the agency world. But let me say too, there's a lot of in-house recruiters that very much think and work this way and, you know, get a similar sort of adrenaline high when that very circumstance happens within their own business. Because, you know, we're working on behalf of external clients. The only difference in many ways is they're just working on behalf of internal clients. And likewise, they need to think creatively beyond a resume. To your question, what's different? I think, you know, I made reference to stakes being high. Whenever the stakes go up, you know, a process typically, uh, to use an easy word, just gets deeper. And I think the best way of capturing that is to talk about alignment. If we've agreed that an executive's role is to think and behave a little broader and a little further into the future than, say, a management position, and, you know, we've used words like strategy, etc. then, you know, you're talking about, therefore, a need, if you're looking to recruit someone who brings those traits, you're talking about a need, therefore, to find some alignment on some of those things. So, you know, at a really practical level then, Sure, the interviews, you would like to hope, and, and you know, this is not always the case, but I think in a, in a perfect world, absolutely, a, an executive level process means the interview is longer. And, and, you know, that's such a simple thing to say, but I don't just mean you're sitting in that seat for another 30 or 40 minutes. I mean, it could extend to a meal or a drink after work or a coffee in the afternoon to talk about things beyond just the job. I think the level of due diligence that happens along the way is deeper. You know, there's a, I, feel, I think it's a fairly contentious subject, or well, maybe it's not anymore, but, you know, this talk of people checking or not checking people's Facebook profiles and all that sort of stuff. You know, the reality is an executive level role, people, you are going to have your stuff checked, whether or not that's Facebook, I don't know, but certainly LinkedIn. If LinkedIn is a playground for business and in particular executives, then the sort of stuff you post is going to be read and and interpreted. And that's not for spelling errors. That's going to be very much around these things that will either align you or not to some of these bigger picture elements and an executive level role. Yeah. And I guess, you know, I even think reflect on some of the processes that I have been a part of as a recruiter and there may be relocation involved. So when you say dig deeper, it's understanding. Mm. So what impact does this have on your partner, on your family, on, you know, the house that you live in? There's so much. It's such a great topic, you know, because it's, (laughs) and Shelley, you'll appreciate this too in HR. We have to, because of the modern world we live in, walk such a fine line around asking questions, sorry, asking questions that we're not allowed to ask, which of course we don't. But nonetheless, to some of the things you've just raised, Embo, and in executive level role, you, you, you do need to understand, you know, if there is a relocation, you know, we need to understand, well, maybe we don't need, maybe the word need isn't fair, but gee, 
some insight into the motivators around people's lives are really helpful. And, and again, that just goes to the simple fact that the stakes are high for everybody involved. Yeah, that's so good. The stakes are high and there's a potentially a bigger fallout. Well, well, there is absolutely a bigger fallout when we make the wrong wrong hiring call. Correct. So that's why I think those things are weighed so heavily. And yeah, I love this conversation so much because it's really giving that practical insight into what I think has typically been something that not many people experience, like not many people will experience going through this process. And so how do we open up um, and show them what is the inside in internal workings of finding an executive role and applying for one look like? We've probably got time for one more question. And do you want to hit us with the last one? All right. So last question, I guess this is at the risk of being a bit moment in time, this is probably a little bit of a moment in time question, but while we've got you and this executive recruitment space is your sweet spot, what is your insight into the market perhaps now and call it over the next 12 months or feel free to change the time frame on me, but what are we seeing in this executive space at the moment that might be useful for our listeners to know if it's a part of their goal? Yeah, I think in so many areas, we've got this just huge slingshot effect happening at the moment, which is an aftermath of a two-year period of I want to say sitting on our hands, and I certainly don't mean that in a la- in the lazy sense of the word, just, you know, watching and waiting. What the hell is going to happen next around the pandemic? And so, in short, um, the market is very much like many areas of the economy going through that slingshot moment where it's firing. And that's the result of, you know, movements, vacancies, tough conversations, that didn't happen through the pandemic, again, because we just had this moment where everyone just was better off staying put and sticking to what we know, now accelerating through that last two years. And so, you know, vacancies are becoming available in a far greater way in this moment in time than they have certainly over the last couple of years. And indeed, more so than, you know, an average year, so to speak. And of course, you're not just seeing that at an executive level, you're seeing that throughout organisations and arguably, I'm sure there's some exceptions, throughout industries. And of course, you know, the unemployment rate, you know, there are basically four and, you know, there's talk of it even starting with three at one time, at one point, is really great evidence of that. In short, M, yeah, it's firing. There's a lot of movement and that's not just at the employment end, you know, that's also at the candidate slash job seeker end. Likewise, jobs, you know, candidates, job seekers, people, I've also been in many respects, again, sorry to use this term, but, you know, we've been sitting on our hands again through the unknown. And all of a sudden, the unknown, you know, while still very much present in now other ways, what a world we live in. But, you know, has come to the point where people are now feeling they can open their shoulders and make some decisions about moving. So it's it's very active. And I guess that means that whether it's an internal, external move that you're considering into an executive role, I would echo now is the time to be having conversations. So whether that is with an external recruiter that you've got a relationship with, whether you need to start a relationship or perhaps there's someone internally, your boss, an internal mentor, HR, the internal recruiter, whoever the person is that you need to be in the ear of to say, look, as this shakeup or this movement or this shift is happening, I'd be really keen to be a part of it over the next even 12 months. You know, the executive market, or I should say an executive process also at times will move 
a little bit slower. Not all, but because we've got to go through some of those bigger pieces of due diligence. Yeah, just hearing you both talk that through makes me think it's the time in your career where you could put your hand up for a role that maybe if you were to deep down ask yourself, do I feel ready? Possibly not. But is there a lot of opportunity and is this organisation going to help me grow into it? Yes, because the market is firing. And so taking the brave step out and doing something that little bit before you're ready right now, it's a great time to do that. Yeah, I think, Shell, you've almost gone back to a question you asked earlier, and that's around the time frame, you know, to become an executive. I think now more than ever, the time frame is shorter than it's ever been. Yeah, because those opportunities, um, there's just a high volume of them right now. And because of the things I've mentioned, it's, it's an exciting time. It is exciting. And I think this is a great moment to end on today. And Jeff, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. It's really fun to have you here. And, you know, it's really good to get Em's boss on the show. Yeah, how, cool. how cool. And you guys hadn't met before. And yet I feel like I talk about both of you I know, each other right? all oh, the time. Crazy. But do you know what, Jeff? We know each other because of LinkedIn, right? Oh, exactly. We're like, <laughs> we're like I know Jeff, yeah. but I just actually haven't met you in real life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This- <laughs> this uh, hidden mentor thing. I love it. Yeah. Very, it's really very cool. cool. Thanks, boss. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. Awesome. Hey, as always, if you enjoy the show, please leave us a five-star rating and review and connect with us on LinkedIn. That's where we hang out. Uh, you'll find us on there. Send us a message. Awesome. Thanks for hanging out. See you guys. We acknowledge the dark and young people traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present we extend that respect to aboriginal and torres strait islander peoples who may listen to our podcast hey thanks for listening we love learning how to do all things well which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics so go and check out my millennial investor my millennial property my millennial money medical my millennial health my millennial business and my millennial money find these wherever you're listening to this podcast planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods, for 50 to 80% less in similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.